people who are into this church who don't even who are not here and have not been here in a long time because of work or whatever it may be, and they give, and then we have those who are out of town who give. We thank you. We appreciate you for what you're doing because this isn't so much about all of that. It's it's about your obedience to the Lord. And you're and you're gonna be blessed because you have. And I just wanted to say thank you today, amen, for doing that. And we're in the third uh the third part of our series called uh, uh Slings and Stones, and we're gonna be does anybody know what uh book we're in today? Where? We're in Samuel. We're going to be turning there in just a few minutes. I, I, you guys are just, I mean, you guys just just really on today on point. Now, the last couple of weeks, what I said was, take your marker, put it in 1 Samuel. We're going to be in 16 and 17 for the next few weeks. And I, I'm just going to believe today that as you get into, into your Bible, into the Word, that God's going to help you, that you're going to absorb what is said today. I, I want to make a statement here that anointing, that was the first week that we talked marked what God does. We don't normally pour oil on people or just pour it over the top of them like David was when he was anointed as king. At the early age of somewhere between 10 and 13 years old, he was separated from his brothers. But what we do is we believe that God marks people. He marks an individual. And that is that anointing. That is that what God has put upon a person that makes them stand out. They sing well. They may speak well. They may do other things well, but God marks us. That was the first week. And then last week we talked about God's purpose in our life. We talked about the purpose of God upon us. And this week we're going to talk about passion. We're going to talk about what passion is and what it is to have a passionate attitude. Because we can have passion for a lot of things, but not the right things. We come into a worship service after we won the ball game last night. And we can forget that we were hooping and hollering (laughs) during the during the ball game and sit back and say, Well, I don't think I'm going to get too excited today. I'm kind of tired after that ball game. Passion is even more so, though, than just the volume of your voice. Some people don't think you preach unless you preach loud. Sometimes preaching loud can be annoying. Sometimes it can be anointed. You have to understand what the Word of God shares and shows us. So we're going to go to 1 Samuel. I want us to ask prayer, and then we're going to be seated. Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for what you're about to do. I pray today, God, that you would help me to do what I can't do within myself. Father, I understand. I know the limits within my own self. And Father, I know today that I totally and completely depend upon you. Father, I believe that you're going to speak to us as we lean in for the next several moments. And Father, that you would use us for your glory. And Father, today for one person that may be uh, Lord, dealing with a situation, a circumstance. God, they, they need a touch from you. I pray that today, before this day is out, they'll receive that touch. They'll be ministered to in a great and mighty way. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. We ask it in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Would you give a big praise one more time to the Lord? Thank you for all of you that are watching online. Thank you for all of our students who are here, a lot of them sitting on the front. And then you may be seated today. It is good to see you've been trying to be seated for the last 10 minutes. And uh, so I'm going to let you sit down. I know you're tired. Uh, You know, you've been up watching games and enjoying pizza. And some of you were at work. So uh, I'm just glad you're here today. I'm glad you're here. Amen. Uh, We're going to be talking about for the next couple of Sundays, we're going to be talking about David. We're not going to kill the Goliath today. We're going to do that next week. And uh, it's going to be one of those uh, Sundays where we, we slay the giant. It's, it's really, the, we're going to get started into it today, but that's actually my favorite part of that. And, uh, you know, we kind of get, you know, the men thing we do. And I'll try to balance it out, ladies. One message somewhere, I'll preach about love and make us all feel good on the inside. All right. So, but it's good. It's good to have you here today. Uh, we talked about anointing. We talked about purpose. We talked about diligence. We talked about excellence. We talked about last week understanding your uniqueness. Somebody say uniqueness. Uh, What God has done in me and created me for a specific purpose. I am unique in that. Meaning that God has made me, me, not you. 
Aren't you glad that God made all of us unique? That you don't look like me and I don't look like you, but we're unique because God created us uniquely. And because God has created us uniquely, the purpose that He's put in our life, no one else can do. The purpose that God created you for, more than just coming to a church service, more than just being born and dying, God's created you for a purpose, own purpose, come on somebody, so that in this life you can make a difference in the world and the world to come. I believe that with all of my heart. And we also talked about experiences that we have last week. We talked about sometimes that no matter how the experiences come, some of them are good experiences that we have in life. Some of them are bad experiences in life. Or, and sometimes they're just somewhere in between. But we have all of these experiences. But in the middle of all of that, understanding that God is the same. He doesn't change. God is who He is. He cares about you. He loves you. And His love toward you doesn't change. It never will. And then today we're going to talk about being passionate. Really having a passionate attitude toward what God's called you to do. As far as I can remember and as long as I can remember in my own life when God began to deal with me about and I knew that He'd call me to preach and the first time that God, uh, you know, when I knew that God had called me to preach and I began to preach that there was something inside of me that was filled with such a great passion. I can't even explain it to you but I knew that it had to be a God passion. I've had people sit in the service, leave the service, and then I would hear back, you know, that guy's crazy. He is wild. He is off the, you know, he's kind of off the, the meter completely. And I said all that to tell you this, that it's very possible to have passion, so much passion, to believe in a cause. I know people that have all kinds of causes that would die for them in our country that that really will never make a difference anywhere else, but they have that much passion in that. Here's the thing. Have you ever met someone who had so much passion for something they believed in that they were misunderstood? I mean, it's like, I don't don't know. You know, they're kind of nutsy. They're kind of crazy. Maybe misunderstood or maybe, uh, uh, you know, don't understand them at all. They've got so much love. Have you ever met somebody that had so much passion that you actually had the conversation about them and said they just, they just try too hard? You know what I'm talking about? They just try too hard. They try, if they wouldn't try so hard, then they probably would do a little bit better than what they do. The truth is, I have, in, I have learned to enjoy people who try too hard because this is usually an indicator that they've got passion. And I'd rather have and know somebody and find somebody with a little bit of passion and a little bit of fire and a little bit of zeal down deep inside of them to find somebody who is totally dead, who have no drive, don't care anything about... Mm, come on, somebody. It's an indicator that there is passion inside of them. And if you really want to break this thing down, the boy we're talking about, the man that he would grow into, David was a man with passion. He was a man with so much passion in his life that he would do something as we get into this story that nobody else in Israel was willing to do. He would walk down to a, into a valley and he will end up meeting this uh, giant that uh, many scholars have, uh, have talked about his measurements and how big he was and how tall he was and even, uh, even tried to speculate on how heavy his armor was, that it weighed somewhere about a hundred pounds. This dude is big. The spear, the end of his spear is so big, but David, just being this boy, he walks down to where the Philistines are and the Israelites are squared off in a valley and the, the battle lines have been drawn, but listen to this, they're at a standstill. Nobody is doing anything. There's a lot of, there's a lot of taunting back and forth. There's a lot of calling names back and forth. And this warrior, Goliath, gives us a, a basic indication that What would happen is instead of everybody rushing down and just going at it, he makes the the, basically the idea or the ideology up that what we'll do is you just send one person to me and I'll take care of them. Instead of everybody uh, getting bloody here, instead of many people dying, we'll just go one-on-one. How about that? 
Goliath's idea. This is called representative combat, which means that one person from the Philistine army and one from Israel would represent the countries to avoid all this bloodshed. Aren't you glad that Jesus stepped up when it was time that we needed somebody to step up? And He he really did some representative combat for you and I that He climbed up on a cross on a hill called Calvary and died in our place so that we wouldn't have to die an eternal death but you and I could live for eternity in heaven with Him. I mean, that's that's it in a nutshell. Amen. The problem is in this battle with Goliath and with the Philistines and the Israelite armies that nobody is willing to step up. Nobody is willing to face off with the enemy. Can I tell you, you're going to come against some things in your life that you're going to have to literally face off with it. In order for it to ever die off, you're going to have to have a face off with it. There may be some habits that you have. There may be a bad attitude that you've got. Come on, somebody. There may be some things that are filling your, your life with all, of, uh, all the things that would not normally be of God. You're eventually going to have to have a face off with it. But at, until you do, that, that enemy, that giant that you're dealing with is going to continually mock at you. Let me help you out. You see, that's why when you come into a church service and they're singing their hearts out, they're giving all the honor and glory to God. They're singing about the Lord. They're singing to God. And they're worshiping. And you're standing there and the enemy's mocking you. He's saying, you know what you said yesterday. You know where you were at last night. You know what you did over the week. Come on, somebody. And he's taunting and mocking at you, basically telling you, you're not even worthy to be in this house, let alone live your hands up and give God any honor or any praise. That's what the enemy does to you. But the only way that you'll ever be able to face off the enemy is to lift one hand in the air and say, I I know that I didn't do well this week. Amen. But I'm going to give God some praise anyhow. I know that I didn't always say the right things and lift another hand. And before you know it, you're in total surrender to the Lord. And you're actually having a face off with the enemy who is saying, You're not even worthy to be here. Because if you stand with your hands in your pockets and kind of shrugging your shoulders, you're basically really just listening to what the enemy's telling you and believing the lie that he said about you. Goliath was considered the champion. And for the next 40 days, the champion Goliath would literally mock Israel's army. Not for one day, not for two days, not for a week, but for 40 days days every day they would come down and he'd say hey have you found anybody willing to fight me have y'all not got anybody who's willing to stand up I thought that you were God's children come on somebody I, I thought you were I thought you were those that he had saved and delivered I thought you were the ones that would could could no no army could come against you and really win. Why is it that you can't find one? And that brings us to 1 Samuel 17 verse 23. And as he was talking, we're talking about Goliath here. With them Goliath the Philistine the champion of Gath came out from the Philistine ranks. He steps out. Now, this dude is big. He, he's big. He steps out. And David, look at this. I, I need you to get this. Come on. If you're taking notes, it's a good thing to take notes. If you're not taking notes, you all take notes. Then David heard him shout. Look at this. His usual taunt. He, he heard him shout his usual mocking to the army of Israel. Now David shows up. and I'm going to give you a little bit of the back history. But he gets, he gets to where he's supposed to be. He's filled with a passion. And a person who has passion a lot of times has to push through to get something accomplished great for God. David's just a young man. His brothers are all warriors in the army, but he's still tending sheep. Do you remember that? He, he will one day be the king, but he's not the king yet. Are you with me? He's one, one day he will be the one that they will say uh, Saul has killed his thousands but David has ten thousands but he's not there yet. He's hearing though the same taunt 
the same mocking that the Israelites have heard for the past 39 days. He's hearing it. You see, what I want to share with you is this, is that sometimes when you realize that the things that you're going through and why small groups is so important and why we encourage it in our church and many churches encourage small groups is because when you get together with people who have like-minded faith, you realize that they look good on the outside. Everything looks good when they're at church, but they're dealing with a lot of the same battles you're dealing with and you need somebody who can arm up, link arms with you, hold hands with you, cry with you, pray with you and say, hey, I, I know what you're going through. Let me pray with you. Let me help you. So David was a person who, had to, who was passionate and had to push through. Do you have this attitude? Are you a person that when, when something needs to be done, are you the one that steps up full of passion and do you say, I can do this? Or are you the one that backs down and says, I'm too busy. i got too much going on in my life. I would do it. I would lead a group. I would teach a class. I would minister. I would come early, but I, I'm just too busy. I'm going to tell you something. The enemy will give you a barrel of excuses if you want them. I ain't not going to get many amens there, but I'll just keep on anyway. I said the enemy will give you a barrel of excuses if you want them. So let me just share with you as we draw this thing up and we bring it to the battle because there's four simple things that I want to give to you out of this, out of this message. David goes out the day that he goes to meet his brothers, and he does not know he is not going to fight. you got to get that. David reminds me of this young man who is very smart. The Bible says he's very good looking. He can sing. He can write songs. He can dance before the Lord. This guy's got a lot of things going on. We learned last week that not only is a singer, a songwriter, a harpist, y'all remember that? You remember me saying that, you know, harp carrying is, you know, to practice is like tuba, but, but like ten times, you know. I mean, it's big. He's a harpist, and he's a harpist in such a way that when he goes down, he goes in, they're looking for somebody to play for Saul because Saul's being tormented by a spirit. They get David. Now, I want you to get this. Not because he's a prayer warrior, but because he's a good harpist. Sometimes God's looking for the things that are in your life that you don't think God could ever use. But He's looking for you to excel in excellence because you choose that. Can I tell you, there are many people that count themselves out in the body of Christ. Don't believe that God could ever use them in the very thing that God has used in your past He wants to use to propel you into your future. I believe that with all of my heart. So David goes. He doesn't realize he's going to fight the battle. He actually was asked to complete an errand for his father. He was to go out and he was a normal teenage boy, a normal teenage boy who followed the obedience of his dad, tended his sheep, played the harp so the king could sleep at night. That was David's life. He probably didn't smell too good when he came from the sheep, uh, the sheep herd. He probably didn't look the best because he didn't have a bath in quite some time. He probably hadn't washed his hair in quite some time. But God had purpose for David's life. Listen to this in 1 Samuel 17, verse 17 through 22. This is to give you the story, a little bit of the backstory. One day Jesse tells David, or he says to him, Take this basket of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brother. Somebody say quickly. And give these ten cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report of how they're doing. He said, go down there. Your dad, this is his dad. Go down there. Take this meal to them. Give, give this little bit of extra to the captain and check on your brothers. David's brothers were with Saul. Saul is now the king and the Israelite army at the Valley of Elah. Fighting against the Philistines. So David left the sheep with another shepherd. And he set out early the next morning with the gifts. He didn't go at noon. He didn't go late at night. He set out early the next morning. As Jesse had directed him and he arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israelite Philistines 
forces stood facing each other, army against army. Verse 22, David left these things with the keeper of the supplies. The basket, the gifts that he brought, look at what it says, and hurried out. Somebody said hurried out. He left early in the morning. He went quickly to his brothers and he hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. And I want to give you real quickly, as quickly as I can, four characteristics that I believe that David had that as a body of believers, as Christians, as people of God that we need to have, which indicate passionate people. If you're passionate about your team winning, you're going to stand up on the couch, you're going to scream to the point that your husband says, Honey, you need to settle down. You're you're scaring the dogs because your team's winning. Uh, you're, You're passionate to the point that you don't care what the coach says. You know that was a touchdown or you know that wasn't a touchdown. Because you are an armchair quarterback and you know as much about the game as any of them. you got socks in your drawer older than the guy coaching the game. Come on somebody. Passionate people, first of all, carry out a purpose, their purpose that God has put in them with a willing spirit. Let me say this. Passionate people carry out their purpose with a willing spirit. You can have the purpose of God in your life. Your past can represent something greater for your future. God wants to bring you into something greater. But listen, if you don't have passion that drives the purpose and you don't have a willing spirit, then you're not going to accomplish what God has for you. So David carries out the simple instructions of his father. First, he gets up early. Next, he hurries off to his brothers. He goes to greet them. This great opportunity, the great opportunity that he didn't even realize that he was going to have, and that was this, and that was position. Somebody say position. There's many times that God pushes you in a direction. He brought you to this church. He brought you to this service. He took you someplace. You know that God led you because you wouldn't have normally went there. But there, God is positioning you for a purpose. I've had people not here years ago. We were pastoring at a church and I had a person that came to me and said, We believe the Lord led us here. I was like, great, we're glad to have you. You know, we're trying to build a small church, a mission church here. Let's, let's do something together for God. And six months later, they were, the Lord was leading them away. Now, I'm just telling you something. I'll be honest with you. I believe that God's not fickle. People are, but God isn't. I said people are, but God isn't. And I believe that God, if He positioned you into a place There is purpose for you to be there. Come on, somebody. If you will go with a willing spirit, God will give you the answer to what you're looking for and you won't just be holding down a chair in case a storm comes, but you will have such great purpose that you will do it with a willing spirit and passion. Too many people want to serve God, but they don't want to serve Him with passion. Come on, somebody. David went out with passion, did what his father asked him to do. He takes the opportunity to carry this meal down there, and he is positioned. Look at this. He didn't know that he was going to fight. Come on, somebody. He didn't know that he was going down there to get into the middle of a battle. He knew that he was supposed to carry the meal to his brothers. But hear this, in the midst of that, God positioned him to defeat the very enemy that was mocking Israel. Are you hearing me? He had no idea when he woke up that the opportunity that God was putting before him. But let me, let me just give this to you. It's free. We won't receive another offering on it. You can't get it if you don't show up to get it. I said you can't get it if you don't show up to get it. And, and you can't be really positioned the way God wants to position you if you won't allow God to position you. But if you will and you have a willing spirit and a passionate spirit, God will. 
That's why with me, I, I, we do miss every now and again. And I'm please don't think I'm preaching on anybody because it's not true. It's not what I'm just. It's just what's in my heart is I don't like to miss church. We do occasionally. It's something that we need to do. Some of you take vacations from work because you need to get away from work. You say, Pastor, this ain't if you work in it, it. It's not a job if you love what you're doing. I love what I do, but every now and again, I need to get away. But I'll be honest with you, I'm very careful because if I miss church, I feel like I might have missed something, a word that God wanted to speak to me and through me. Come on, somebody. Something that he, that I, what do you mean? There may be something that is said in that service that I may need to face what's coming down the road in a few months. But if I didn't show up, it's hard to get it, amen? It's hard to receive what the Lord has. And I'm so grateful for online. I'm so grateful for Facebook Live. I'm so grateful for live stream. But the truth of it is, it really isn't the same unless you're there. You know, the guy said, you got to be there. You just had to be there. I think there's sometimes in church services, as good as they look online, you just got to be there. You just you can tell them all you want to about it, but you just need to be there. You need to be there when the Spirit of God began to move and chains began to fall off and people began to get free and something happened in their life. I know you were watching online, but my goodness, you just had to be there. Does that make sense? So today, when God woke you up, you may not have realized, but He's put an opportunity right in front of you. Notice that David gets up early. He doesn't just get up early, but he runs out to the battle lines. He meets his brothers on an assignment. Look at this. That is very small. It's very very meager. Carrying a basket of bread and some slices of cheese. David could have easily told his dad, look, I don't want to be the Pizza Hut delivery boy. I I don't really want to be involved in this. I've got sheep to look after. They're your sheep. He could have done that. But notice that David had a willing spirit and the only way that you can that you can carry out God's assignment when He positions you somewhere is to have a willing spirit. I need to give this one to you. Be careful that you don't underestimate small assignments that God has given you in your life. You might think that it's just a Wednesday night class. You might think that it's just a bunch of kids. You may think that it's just a small group of adults. You might think that it's just a house to house with five of you that have shown up. But can I tell you that in that small group and in that small assignment, in that thing that God has been working to position you in, I want to tell you that God can take that small assignment and turn it into something greater than what you woke up believing or thinking that God could do in your life. There may be one man... There may be one man, there may be one woman, maybe one teenager that needed to hear exactly, they needed to come together with others and hear what God wanted to do in their life. And because of that, they're changed and they're on their destiny that God has to change the world. Just because you think it's small doesn't always mean that it's small. We take seriously those who come and work in our nursery. We, we believe that it's an important task. We, we don't take it lightly. We don't believe that they're in their babysitting. And Pastor Ted and I have had this conversation about our RC kids. We don't believe that we're putting people over there just to watch your kids and play games with them. We believe that we're putting the Word of God inside of them. We, we, they ask me, they'll say, Pastor, what is your vision for these children? What is your vision for these uh, teenagers? I'll tell them, look, I want them to know the Word of God. With all of their heart, I want them to know the Word of God. Because with the Word of God, they can defeat enemies. Come on. They can run through a troop. Come on. They can do things that they would never thought they could do. But I also want them to be not only know the Word, but I want them to know how to worship. They need to know how to worship. Why? Because they'll get in a church service and mom and daddy's doing this in the church service. They're not willing to worship. They're not willing to... And listen to me. They're watching you. They're modeling after you. It's not that they wouldn't worship. It's that a lot of them don't know how to worship. 
Come on, somebody. I'm going to preach, dig in, get here, whatever. If I never get to the first point of this, hear what I'm telling you. They need to see that example through you. Don't let it just be the crazy preacher that's up there preaching. Let it be mama. Let it be daddy who's got both hands in the air saying today, I'm an overcomer through the blood of Jesus Christ. I will, I will not let the enemy keep me down. i got a willing spirit. Passion about what you're doing. Passion about a lot of other things. We need to get passionate about Jesus. Be careful that you don't look at small assignments in your life and just say, well, you know, it's just small. It may be the small thing in your heart that God uses to reach that one person that reaches millions. Just because you're not standing behind a pulpit or in front of hundreds does not mean that you're any less important because the truth is if you could spend a day in someone else's shoes, you might later gladly give them the pair back. Amen. Nursery workers, RC kids, cleaning teams, worship and media, I'm so thankful. Greeters, hospitality, ushers, I'm so thankful for you. There's so many of you that I we don't say it all the time, but I just want to say thank you for what you do because the Lord knows I can't do it all. Pastor Bethany can't do it all. Come on, somebody. These deacons can't do it all. Thank you uh, for those of you that give of your time and your talent. You have a willing spirit to serve others. Amen. Amen. Secondly, look at this. Passionate people have got to guard their strengths or it can become twice their weakness. Passionate people have to learn to guard their strengths or it can be twice their weakness. I'm going to read to you a verse, Psalms 51 and 12. It said, Restore to me the joy of salvation and make me willing to obey you. Now I want you to notice something that God had already had his hand on David. Psalms 51, if you're a Bible student and a Bible, you understand anything about the Bible, you've read, heard anybody preach about it. Psalms 51 was written after David had sinned and committed adultery with Bathsheba, committed murder to uh, to to her husband, or against her husband, Uriah. So Psalms 51 is written after. He says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Make me willing to obey you. Look at Acts 13, 22. It's on the screen. But God removed Saul, the king that David would replace. A man whom God said, look at this. I have found David, a son of, uh, the son of Jesse, a, a man after my own, my own heart. Look at this. He will do everything I want him to do. Are you with me? Not part of it. Because partial obedience isn't really obedience. Partial obedience is actually disobedience. Some of you ask your kids, take the trash out. It's your job, right? Come on, you, 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 some of you men, it's your job. and You know that, but you tell your kids, take the trash out. And they take the trash and they start to take it out and then you find it later stinking in the garage. They took it out, they just didn't take it all the way out, right? So when, when you asked them to take the trash out, did they know that they were supposed to take it, put it in the outside trash can or take it to the road? Of course they did. They've done that many times. So why did they leave it in the garage? Because they partially obeyed what you said to do. So did they completely obey or did they really disobey? I'll leave that up to you and you deal with them later about it. For the mama who found it at 7 o'clock in the morning, because it was 110 degrees the night before, they disobeyed her. Are you with me? So disobedience to God isn't just that I did. It's, it's not just uh, I disobeyed Him, but it can even be partial disobedience. But look at what He said. God said in His Word, Acts 13, 22, that David would do everything He wanted Him to do. It, 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 this is something that a lot of people don't like to talk about. It's not fun to talk about. But David is now much older in his age where we've read these verses from. And he prays, Lord, make me willing after his sin, after he's committed all of these uh, horrible things that he's done. And look at this. The reason I'm sharing that with you is to give you the understanding of why passionate people have to guard their strengths or they can, that it can become their Uh, twice their weakness that's because impulsiveness says this I will fight the giant I will do it 
It's the same impulsiveness in a passionate... Listen, it's the same impulsiveness in a passionate person that got David in trouble, looked over the balcony, saw Bathsheba bathing where he should not have been looking. Come on, guys. Y'all shake your heads at me like you know what I'm talking about. Young men that are sitting here and you understand what I'm preaching. I, I'm not going to just preach to my, my younger guys because it's a, the older ones too. We've got an issue right now. Listen to what I'm, what I'm about to tell you. It's okay when you see a, a pretty uh, woman to say, that's a pretty woman. Just hang with me like a hair in a biscuit. Hang on here. That is a pretty woman. Can I tell you something? It is normal for a man to look at a pretty woman and say, hey, she's pretty. Come on, somebody. You don't walk down the street and see some woman dog ugly and say, wow. Right? But look at, listen to this. The first look that God gives you is free. Come on, hear me. This, this seems silly, but it's truth. He gives you his free. And your words ought to be this. You remember about the sunrise? You remember me talking about the sunrise? Good job, God. First look's free. Good job, God. The second look will get you into trouble. Because it moves from what you're seeing, the window of your soul. I'm preaching better than you're helping me. It moves from the window of your soul. Your eyes are the window to, to your soul. It's what you look with. And men are wired to want what they see. And David had passion and a willing spirit, but the same impulsiveness that he had that said, Hey, I'll kick that giant's tail right back to where he came from. was the same impulsiveness that said when he saw Bathsheba, I want her. Now he's the king. Now he can have anything in the kingdom because he's the king. And even if it comes down to having, his, uh, having her husband murdered on the front lines of the war, that's what he'll do because, listen to me, if you're not careful, the same strengths that you are given can be twice your demise. Are you with me? You have to be careful. So that's why the Bible says, look at this, I preached a message years ago called guard your house, guarding the house. You've got to guard your heart. You have to guard your heart. I'm not, I'm not talking about the ladies today. We're not going to get into that. We're talking about David. So be careful. Instinct can become impulsiveness. And it's the flip side of passion. So your greatest asset, look at this, can become your greatest liability. The very thing that makes you a man who's a giant killer. Come on somebody. If not guarded well can become your greatest liability and cause you to become an adulterer. And I'm going to tell you, it isn't the devil that made you do it. Come on, it ain't the devil that made you do it. I said it's not. We're, I'm tired of folks giving the devil credit for things he didn't have anything to do with. It isn't the devil that made you do it. You have a willing spirit. And the Bible says guard your heart. With everything you have, guard your heart. Especially those of you that are filled with passion, that you're impulsive. My wife loves to plan. One of the hardest things in the world for her is for me to say, Hey baby, let's pack up some clothes and let's head off to here. She's like, hold on, we didn't spend three months planning this out like we would a cruise. Come on, are you with me? She's a planner. She plans it out. Go to her desk and you would not say she's a planner. You'd say, my heavens. And she'll tell me there's a method to her madness. And I try to be very careful about what I touch on her desk because she's going to know that I touched it even though to me it all looks the same. Are y'all with me? And I'll say to her, and I did this back in July, hey, sweetheart, let's load up in the car and let's go see our daughter who moved. And she's like, hold on, this Sunday afternoon, we've eaten lunch, been set, talking, and this, that, and the other, and kind of how the week was, and how we had a little bit of an opportunity. And, and she was like, I, we, I, I. I'm the impulsive one. I, I'm the one that will go on that moment's notice. Listen to me. And in, with that impulsiveness is that passion and that willingness. But the same 
passion, the same impulsiveness. I'm just putting my feet on the coffee table, being very open, very vulnerable with you, can be the very thing, if I'm not careful, that can bring, our, that can bring your demise. Now, I'm just being open with you, honest with you. That's the way that it is. You, what is that, Pastor? Real quickly, my story when I got saved was I, I dealt with temper a lot of times. I know none of you men never deal with that. Yet God's calling had not changed in my life. It was the same. God had called me. And as I become a, a pastor later on in life, I began to try to do something that a lot of pastors fall into, and that is uh, the thing that you try to become people pleasers. You try to please people to the point that you stop enjoying what you do. You're trying to make people happy that you never can make happy and realize that, you know what, they'll turn on you like, a, like that. Now, I know you're looking at me religious and saying, not us, Pastor, never. And I, I believe that. But hear me, I've been doing this too long and I know people, listen to me, we all are that way. If you get mad at Target, you'll go to Walmart. If you don't like how they're treating you at Kroger, you'll go somewhere else. Are you with me? People are just that way. Are you hearing me? So, so I would get to the place where that was happening, and all I wanted to do in those days when I worked a secular job and did ministry was to do the ministry at a full-time basis. At times, I wasn't happy because I allowed my passion to dwindle to what I would have considered religious rigors of tradition. In other words, I just did what everybody else thought I needed to do, even though it wasn't really what God wanted me to do. I had to tell myself this, and this is going to be the point of the short and the long of this story. I had to tell myself this, Tony, you need to learn to enjoy the bus ride or get off the bus. And I can't go by what somebody else is preaching or what's popular about being preached or what somebody thinks I ought to preach. I need to be listening to God and hearing what the Lord is saying and the voice of the Lord is saying and do that. Come on, somebody. I need to enjoy the bus ride or get off the bus. I preach it about me. Y'all all ought to be standing up saying amen. So we see David from the life of a shepherd boy. He's a harpist, he's a warrior, and soon to be king. But God, in all of his infinite wisdom, everything that he had, all-knowing sovereignty, already knew that he had spoken over David, that David is a man after my own heart. Dave, look, this is the point. David's weakness did not change the value of David's life. Say it again. God had already spoken over David. This is a man after my own heart. David's weakness did not change the value of his life to God. Are you with me? God loved him the same. I said that today to tell you this. Every one of us sitting in here deal with our own circumstances. Some of us, some of us isn't that it's looking at a woman in the wrong way or too long or whatever you want to say. It, you say, well, that's a bad problem. It might be, but I can tell you this. Lust in your heart. We'll get you to hell, but backbiting and talking about somebody will get you there just as fast. Oh, I got some. Gossip will get you there just as fast. So the Bible says that we all contend with these things in our heart. The Bible talks about these lusts, which a lot of people think that lust is actually lust. We think it's lust uh, in a sexual way, but the truth of it is it means strong desire. Lust can be after food. Lust can be after a pair of shoes, a new hunting rifle. Come on, somebody. It's the strong desires that are inside. And the Bible says we are all are drawn away by our own. You know why it's our own? Because you and I deal with stuff that's cut out for us. The devil ain't going to mess with you. If, you. if you never had an alcohol problem, he's not going to deal with you with alcohol. Why would he try? Why would he fool with it? I walked past with my wife many times in the store, aisles and 
uh, owls of cold, whatever brew that is in the thing, and it don't bother me one bit. I don't think in my mind, hey, today I think I'll start drinking. When we go to the bank on Monday and we go to the bank, I never drive up and think, you know what, today I think I'll rob a bank. It doesn't happen. Come on, somebody. But the enemy knows the button that he can push in my life. He knows the button he can push in your life because that thing is cut out for you and it's cut out for me. And the enemy knows if he can use that, that can become your demise. That one thing. So that's why you got to guard your heart and your strengths, even when you're passionate, have to be guarded because if you don't, you can end up in places you don't want to go. Let me just share with you number three. We're getting close here. Passionate people many times interpret intimidation, look at this, as an invitation. Let me just share with you this the, the simple of it. If somebody tells me that I can't, Come on, y'all with me. Anybody else feel that way in your, your mind? You can't do that. I tell you to stand back and watch. I tell you as any good redneck will hold my coke and watch me. <laughs> I'm trying to keep it G here. I'm trying to keep it G. Come on, I'm going to try my best to do it. I may not have been able to, I, I may not have done it in 20 years, but I'm going to try it. Because that's the way we're wired. Are you with me? So, so the point of this, the point of what I'm trying to share with you, is that understanding, number three, that passionate people a lot of times look at intimidation. They look at a giant as an invitation to a fight. Well, come on. Are you, come on, somebody. Are you with me? So why is it important? Look at verses 22 through 24. David left all of his things with the keeper of the supplies. He hurried out to the ranks to greet his brother. He knows they're going to the battle. And, he's, and he is talking with, uh, with the, uh, as he is talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine, the champion of Gath, came out to the Philistine ranks. Then David heard them shout the usual taunt or their mockings to the army of Israel. Verse 24, as soon as the Israelite army saw him, look at this, they began to run away in fright. David's standing there scratching his head. He didn't come to this battle to fight. He come to bring bread and cheese. He's the pizza delivery boy. David heard the same mocking that the rest of Israel heard every day for the past 39 days as I shared with you earlier. The difference is this, look at this. The difference in defeating what's defeating you is the difference in what David just did. Look at this. Israel ran. And David was willing to face it. David's standing there scratching his head. Where are they going? They're supposed to be down here fighting. Listen to me, church. Hear what I'm about to tell you. That the very things that you're not willing to face will most likely be the very thing that defeats you. The very things that you're not willing to face off with. You know there's an issue. You know there's a problem. You know that somebody else has already told you. You've heard it and it isn't just from one person. You can't keep friends, but you don't know why nobody wants to be your friend. I'm just throwing stuff out here, not just hoping it'll stick to the wall, but just telling you that many times David, uh, David was hearing the same stuff, but he was willing to face the giant. He, was, he didn't come there to fight. He didn't have any armor. So David interpreted the intimidation of the giant as an invitation because people who do great things from God hear the same threats that everybody else is hearing, but they're willing to press past the difficulty. In order to bring a giant down, you've got to face it off. And if the giant's pornography, you better face it off. If the giant is alcohol, you better face it off. If the giant is backbiting or gossiping, you better face it off. If it's overeating, you better... Are you, are you hearing what I'm telling you? There's a lot of things in life that become giants to us if we don't face it off. Amen, somebody. It's just, I'm, I'm on number three, so I'm getting close to finishing here, but... 
You never went to the closet or to your uh, to the jean, the jeans or the pants drawer. And you pulled them out and you put them on and you're like, these things have shrunk in the dryer. <laughs> put on a shirt and, and you put the shirt on and the shirt's like, you look like Superman. And you say, baby, did you dry my shirt on high? I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm, I done went from, I done went to meddling is what I've done, went to doing. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? Sometimes you just have to face off. You know what? Mama didn't put them in the dryer for too long. My pants aren't shrinking and my shirt ain't shrinking. I'm just growing. And I needed to have stopped. And so look, at some point you have to face off that giant. I asked a doctor one time, I said, what, what can I do? It just seems like I battle this thing all my life. I'm just putting the coffee table out, sticking my feet on and being just real with you. What do I need to do? Is it some kind of magic pill? There's some kind of something I can do. He said, well, you know, you ought to get a gym membership. Got one. Had it for years. I'm on the first step. I bought the membership. He said, well, you need to take step two, get you a pair of good shoes and go. I said, I do that, Doc. What do? He said, then push away from the table. See, now, if I'd have said that to you, some of y'all would have got mad. But a doctor can look back at you that you just paid $150 to visit and say, hey, look, you need to push away from the table. And we'll say, you know what? It's about time that I face the giant. I got to get the shoes out of the closet. Come on, somebody. Got to put the shoes to the, to the ground and I got to do what I need to do. All right, I'm going to move on. Y'all don't like That's probably like a... Probably a... Move on. I know these kids will be real with me. Sierra, I don't know. Well, she's, she's being real over there. Intimidation. Look at this. Intimidation is the way the enemy keeps you from experiencing what God really wants you to experience. Intimidation can be the thing that the enemy uses to keep you from experiencing really what God wants you to experience. And when the enemy comes against you, instead of looking at it as a way to back down, it ought to be a way that you and I say it's an invitation to step up. Come on, somebody. What we do is we look around, we see other people doing incredible things for God, and we see them on the outside. We look at their life, and we say nothing seems to intimidate them. The reason, look, I can stand here today in this place, in this pulpit, is not because of confidence in myself. Listen to me. Hear what I'm telling you. There's, I've shared with you honestly many times my greatest battle about this is not what I'm going to, it's not getting up here. It's, it's, it's not the confidence to do that. It's the confidence that I have in God. The biggest battle that I face, listen to this, is knowing that next week on Monday, y'all expecting to hear something different than what you heard this Sunday. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And when you've been at a place almost 18 years, you better get creative. Come on, somebody. So it is different. It has to be different. All right, look at this. Number four, passionate people will fight to the finish in the battles that matter the most. I'm getting ready to close here. 1 Samuel 17, verses 25 and 26. We're going to kill the giant next week. Y'all ready to kill the giant next week? Look at what it says in verse 25. Have you seen the giant, the men ask? I mean, they're looking at this guy. He comes out here each day to defy Israel. The king has offered this huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his gorgeous, beautiful, awesome daughters for a wife. You say, Pastor, it does not say beautiful, gorgeous. He wouldn't have given an ugly one, would he? This is mine. I'm going to preach it like I want to. And the man's entire family will be exempt from paying taxes. Some of y'all say amen. I mean, if, if the daughter's ugly, at least the taxes are worth it, right? Verse 26. David asked the soldier standing nearby, What will the man get that's willing to kill this Philistine and ending the defiance against Israel? Who is this pagan? One, one translation says, Who is this uncircumcised 
Philistine anyway. I dare you to try to work that in your conversation at work this week. Who is this pagan Philistine anyway? That's what David's asking. In other words, who is this defiant man who would come against God's people? You ever felt that way? You ever get up in the morning and just wonder why in the world the devil started with you? I'm, 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 I'm going to close this. Passionate people will fight to the finish in the battles that, that, that matter the most. I mean, you ever get up in the morning and if it ain't one thing, it's a... And you just, you're just like, I mean, you know, and you're not trying to give the devil credit because you done heard the pastor say you don't want to give the devil credit for some of the things that ain't the devil's fault. But listen, there are times in your life when you just got to get up and you just, it's one thing after another and you got to look in the mirror and say, not today, devil. Not that you are, but you understand what I'm saying. Not today, devil. You're got, you done got the messing in my stuff. And I will fight to the finish because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I'm going to win this thing. I know, Pastor Ted, I've read the back of the book. Look at this. Who's willing, who's the pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy these armies? The motive for David killing Goliath was as important as his method. And we're going to get into his method next week. I told you what the reward was. I told you that he would get the beautiful daughter. He'd get the tax exemption. And my story is this. Many times after preaching a message, people pat you on the back and say, great message. Most of the people don't understand that there are a lot of people, like my wife, who've helped me behind the scenes, that they'll never hear a great job. But if it wasn't for them, are you with me? Their support that motivates me, I might not succeed. Are you with me? Each of you come to church. You, you see the worship team. You hear the message. You think, man, this just works so perfectly together. Truthfully, look at this. We're all, every one of us, from ones that are standing up here. I mean, Amber's up here last week sitting on an uncomfortable drum stool with a boot up to here singing. And she could have said, hey, Pastor Bethany, I'm not supposed to be on my foot. I can't be up there. She could have given all kinds of excuses, but she chose to be here anyway. Do you not think that they're fighting battles? Just because you can't see the wounds on the outside don't mean there's not wounds on the inside. Amen, it's true. Just because you think they got it all together on the outside don't mean it's always all together on the outside. It means that they may have had to fight through hell just to show up this morning. But they're here because if you don't show up, you can't get it. Come on, somebody. Amen. So someone here today in this service, as we get ready to close this and go into this altar time, somebody here is fighting. You're fighting a battle. Maybe many of you fighting. But the battle may be as serious as that you're thinking about giving up in your marriage. I just come out to tell you today, it's worth fighting for. Some of you may be here today and you're fighting. You're, you're, you're fighting a battle with, your, with maybe your children, your kids. You're dealing with something that they're doing and you're trying to figure out what to do. Can I tell you something? Your kids are worth fighting for. And what you're fighting today or what you're dealing with may not be the Goliath that you think that everybody else is facing, but I'm telling you the battle is still real. It may not seem as big as a Goliath. It may be small. It may be very small. And sometimes we think that our battles are small. I don't want to mention it. I don't want to mess nobody up. I don't want to upset anybody. But I'm going to tell you something. The battle is still very real. So pastor, what do I do? I'll tell you what you do. Now, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you this as I heard somebody say on the radio. They said, we are always told to choose the battles that are worth fighting for. Choose the hills that are worth dying on. How do I know what they are? I've just told you. Your marriage is. Your children are. Are you with me? Your family is. They're worth fighting for. And I don't know what the enemy's got you up against right now. I don't know what you're facing. Maybe everything's good in your camp. Praise God for you. But there are people here that are battling. There's people that should have been here this morning that aren't here that are battling. They're battling to the point 
if they're thinking about giving up. And you know what? Sometimes it's not the family. It's not their family. Sometimes it's not their kids. Sometimes it's not their marriage. Sometimes they're battling in church. If you will, give me some music just quietly there, just for a moment. They're battling in church. Because when you come to church and you show up to church, but you don't really know. Turn it down, please. We don't really know what's going on. The enemy is going to tell you. This is his thing. Hey, everybody over there is talking about you. Everybody over there is talking about you. You know what I figured out in life? And as a pastor, and I've been very open with you, that deal has dealt with trying to make sure that I please people. Except Michelle. You know why? Because Michelle and Michael's going to love me the way that I am regardless. And I just told you something. You know what I'm telling you? People that really know you, they're the ones that care about you anyway. They know your, they know your chinks and your armor. They know your faults. They know you're not perfect. They know that after you work in the yard, you stink. Come on, somebody. They know you. They know you're not perfect. I just come by and I want to confess something to you. No, I'm not confessing. I'm just telling you I'm not perfect. I forget. I just do. I miss stuff. I fail. I fail my wife. There are many times I've had to step up and tell my wife I'm sorry. And y'all have heard me tell the time I had to do it in front of a crowd full of people. As a young married man, I had to stand and apologize to my wife. You know what? I don't know what you're facing. It could have fit with any of those boundaries and it could be something else. But if God's dealt with you in this message and you're fighting, you're battling right now, big, small, or otherwise, I want to pray for you today. I want to pray for you. I want us to all stand together. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray.